0: The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the senior pastor here, and it is great to be with you. Uh, If you're a guest or a visitor, welcome. We're glad that you're with us this morning as we uh, celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Uh, I know it is lost on no one that this is Easter Sunday. And so uh, so we, with uh, the churches around the world, as well as churches throughout history, take a week and pause from our normal sermon series. So we've been going through the book of Romans for the last number of well, more than weeks, months now, and, and we are breaking from that for this week so we can focus our attention on the resurrection of Jesus. This is what the church has done historically to, to take time and to give attention to passages that speak of the resurrection of Christ, that the tomb is empty. And, and this year, this Sunday, today, as we come to this passage, what we're going to do is going to look at the resurrection by looking at three different passages in the Gospel of Luke. So we're going to look at three different passages. We're going to look at the very end of Christ's crucifixion. We're going to look at a few verses that speak of the empty tomb, and then we'll conclude by looking at a few verses that, uh, that speak of God's, of Jesus's words to his followers after his resurrection. So if you have a Bible, uh, I'd encourage you to turn to Luke 23, to Luke 23. There you'll uh, find our passage. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the chairs in front of you, and we'll also have the passage projected on the screen in just a moment. Luke 23, beginning in verses 44 through 47. This is what we read. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this, was, this man was innocent. Now skipping ahead to chapter 24, verse 1, we read, After Jesus has been buried... But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. And now moving ahead to verses 44 through 49, we read that, Then he, that being Jesus, said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. And we thank you that the tomb is empty. And that we worship and we adore a resurrected king. And so we pray that our hearts and our minds would be focused upon him this morning that you would open our eyes and you would soften our hearts so that we would marvel in glory at the beauty of your resurrection. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, George Walton uh, was a man who lived in the early 1900s. Uh, he lived in Rocky Mount, the same Rocky Mount, just a few miles from here. George Walton was an estate appraiser, and so over a number of years of of working in this profession, he had accumulated for himself quite a collection. He had purchased some things, others he just took because the people didn't want them anymore, but he acquired for himself a collection of jewelry and stamps, of rare books and coins. Now, some of these things he then sold and other things he realized were of little value and so he disposed of. Others he passed down to family. One of these things that passed down was a nickel, a nickel that kind of went through the family line. And shortly after this man, George Walton, had passed away, the nickel was appraised. A a specialist, an appraiser, took a look at it, examined it, studied it, and realized it had no value. And so, it just passed down the family line. It, it remained in the family as an heirloom with sentimental value. It sat in a box, on the floor, in a closet. It went from family member to family member until finally it ended up with Walton's nephew, Ryan Givens. Now, Givens wasn't an appraiser, he wasn't a coin expert. And so, he didn't think much of the coin except that it had come from his uncle. But in 2003, he decided to have this coin appraised again. And so six different coin appraisers, six six different experts took a look at this coin. They examined it, they studied it, they compared it to other coins of the day. And they determined that this was no ordinary coin. In fact, this was one of five 1913 Liberty Head nickels. There were only five that were minted, and they thought that the fifth, this one, had been lost forever. They knew where the other four were, but they thought the fifth, it it had been thrown away, it had been lost, it had been inadvertently used by a family member and spent. But here it was. It wasn't just any nickel. It was actually quite rare and had great value. In fact, a few years after the appraisal, it sold for $3.1 million. <laughs> it's a uh, nice investment on that nickel. <laughs> but I imagine that before that final appraisal, those six experts, before they looked at I imagine that Gibbons and his family members, every time they took the nickel out of the box, every time they looked at it, they thought, it's just a coin. Right? It wasn't shiny, it wasn't bright, it wasn't beautiful. It would have been easy for them to cast it aside. And so it passed from relative to relative, hidden in a box, put in a closet. In all those years, they had no idea what they had. When they took it out and looked at it, they had no idea what they were looking at. And those who looked upon Jesus on that day when he was crucified, neither did they know what they were looking at either. They had no idea what they were looking at. You remember those who stood at his feet and watched him die. They are the same people who had mocked him, who had spat upon him, who had beat him, who had crucified him, who had jeered at him, hailed the king of the Jews, who had said he saved others, let him now save himself. They mocked him and killed him. They thought they were looking at just some man. Just any man. A man who made a stir and who would die a criminal and who after his death, his memory would fade away in obscurity. They had no idea the value and the worth of the man that they were looking at. What about you? I mean, you're here on Easter Sunday. What do you see when you look at Jesus? What do you think when you think about him? What do you hear when you read the accounts of Christ? Maybe you think he was a moral man, a dynamic teacher, a wise sage, a revolutionary. Maybe like those who looked upon him, you think just a common criminal. Well, friends, if that's what you see, if that's what you think, if that's what you hear, then, then you're actually like that first appraiser who looked at that coin of great value, of great worth, and thought it was worth nothing. You see, what we should see from Jesus' life and death and resurrection is not just any man, but the man of greatest value, the man of greatest worth, a man that though he was killed as a criminal was actually innocent. That's what we hear in the Bible. That's what we hear in the scriptures, that Christ was innocent. And we hear it from the most unlikely of sources. We hear it from a centurion. Did you see that in chapter 23, verse 47? Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly, this man was innocent. Okay, think about that statement. It's not hard for us to imagine that John or Peter, right, Jesus' closest disciples, it's not hard to imagine that they would have said he was innocent. Or for Mary or Joanna who were there at the crucifixion, or for others of his followers or disciples, for them to say the Romans got it wrong. He was innocent. We wouldn't be surprised if they said that. But a centurion, a Roman soldier... A man who would have been there to ensure the execution took place, who may have actually participated in the killing of Jesus. We don't know, but this centurion could have been one of the men who hammered the nails into his wrists or who who lifted the cross up. He was there to make sure he died. And this Roman centurion, he had seen deaths and executions before, but this one was different. It was different not because of the manner of the death. It was different because of the man who died. See, the centurion witnessed Jesus die. And he would have heard his words, right? The words Jesus spoke from the cross, like words of promise to the thief on his side that 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 night the thief would be in paradise, He would have heard Jesus' prayer to the Father. Not a prayer of threats, but a prayer of grace. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This Roman soldier would have heard his last words of trust and dependence. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This centurion, this man of war, this executioner, in that moment, in that day, in those hours, he saw something unique. He witnessed the death of an innocent man. And it's his innocence that shows Jesus' value and worth. It's his innocence because Jesus had done nothing to warrant his death. Right? He kept all of God's law. And, and he was righteous in every way. When tempted, he never sinned. When tried, he never failed. He was just and innocent. And his innocence is what makes his death so significant. It's what makes it so valuable. Because Jesus didn't deserve to die, and yet he went to the cross anyway. And he went willingly. I mean, do you remember He had an opportunity to fight them off, to fight off the soldiers, right? His, His disciples, his people were ready to take up arms. They pulled out their swords and they were ready to defend Jesus, to guard his life. But he told them, put the swords away. He willingly and knowingly went to his death as the one who didn't deserve death. And he went so that we wouldn't have to. You see, other than Christ, no one else can stand before God or others completely innocent, completely righteous. Not you, not me. Every one of us has broken God's law and fallen short of his commands and deserves his justice. But Jesus took God's justice on himself. The innocent one died for the guilty ones. That's why Jesus is so valuable. That's why his life has such worth. Now listen, if his death was the end of the story, we could write it off as just another execution, uh, another death, another criminal who was put to death. But, but the death of Christ, the death of this innocent man, isn't the end of the story. Because the innocent one who died is the innocent one who rose. That's what we're told, right? Jesus was died, he was buried, and on the third day, the women, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and other women, they came to the tomb, they brought spices to the tomb, because the Sabbath was now over. The Sabbath was over, and so they brought spices to prepare the body for its eternal rest. But when they arrive, the stone is rolled away, and the tomb is empty. There is no body for them to prepare. Instead, what we see in chapter 24, verses 4 through 7, is instead of a body confronting them, they're confronted by two men in dazzling apparel. Now, the other gospel accounts tell us that these were angels, And what did the angels say to these women? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee That the Son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise What they're declaring is that Christ is risen That death could not contain him that that the tomb could not hold him That he is bodily and physically resurrected. That he defeated sin on the cross and he defeats death in his resurrection. That's what they're declaring. Now, I imagine that there might be some of you here this morning who you hear that and maybe you're a little skeptical. And maybe if you're not skeptical, then your neighbor is or your coworker, your family member, your friend, right? They're skeptical. Right? Because we've never seen someone rise from the dead. I've never seen anyone. Right? We've never seen resurrection, and so how could this have happened? Right? And so we think, well, well, maybe this is a fable. Maybe this is a metaphor, Right, a metaphor for, for life after death, how, how our spirits continue on forever. It's some sort of metaphor or made-up story. But, y'all, that's not how the Bible nor history presents this. You see, if you write off the resurrection as simply a fable, then then you have to write off the entirety of Scripture. And you have to write off the entirety of the Christian faith. Because, Because the entire Christian faith depends on the physical bodily resurrection of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is in vain. In other words, if Christ didn't rise then there is nothing to our faith and there is no reason for us to be here. If Christ hasn't been raised, if his body's still in the tomb, then y'all, let's just go home. We'll lock up the doors and sell the building. They can turn into apartments or some entertainment venue, but we don't need it. Because if Christ isn't risen, we are to be pitied amongst all people. That's what Paul says. Our faith is worthless. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Christ is risen, and so so our faith is not worthless, that there is actually reason for us to come and to celebrate and to rejoice and to sing to our God. There is good reason for us to believe in the resurrection, right? Let, Let me just give you a few reasons. The eyewitness accounts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul says that, that Jesus appeared to many people and they're still alive. In other words, back then, if you're doubting, if you're skeptical, just go ask them. That's what Paul was saying. Don't take my word for it. Go talk to those people. They saw him. The eyewitness accounts the, the, the women's testimony Right? Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joanna and other women saw the resurrected Jesus. Now, now this may not seem like a big deal to us, but if you've been around CTK, you've heard me say this before. This was a huge deal in that day. Because in this time period, women, their testimony wasn't valid unless it was confirmed by a man. And so think about that. If you're making up a story, if you're concocting a fable and you want people to believe it to be true, women aren't the one who discovered the empty tomb. Right? You know better. Peter, or Peter, James, John, right? The disciples, they're the ones who discovered the. but that's not how it went. Why? Because it's historical. Because this is how it happened. Right? The women's testimony, the eyewitnesses' accounts, the change in the disciples. Right? Think about how they transformed. Right? They they went from people who doubted. They say to the women, this was an idle tale, right? They went from people who doubted, who were afraid, who were scared, to people of courage, to the point that they would give their lives for this truth of resurrection. They were transformed by it. And the growth of the church, right? This little sect In a little Palestinian town turned into a a faith that spread to every nation and every tongue and into every corner of the world. What accounts for that? The truthfulness of the resurrection. You see, all of these things point to the miraculous and historical and bodily resurrection of Jesus. A resurrection that Christ himself promised. The angel said, remember how he told you. And when the women are reminded, they were told they remembered his words. And later, Jesus appears to the disciples, and we're told in chapter 24, verses 45 and 46, that he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. The very thing that he said was going to happen, that he would go to his death, he would be buried, and he would rise again, it did. He had promised that this is what would occur that the innocent one of great value would take take our sin upon himself and rise to resurrection life. And that's what he did, that's what he promised. That the innocent one is not just the one who died and rose again, but the innocent one is the one that we now proclaim. In chapter 24, Jesus says, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You see, friends, this is the message of Easter This is the message that we proclaim, that repentance in the name of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. That the only way for guilty people, guilty people like me, and guilty people like you, the only way that guilty people find forgiveness is through the death and resurrection of the innocent one. The death and resurrection of Christ. Now, maybe you're here and you have trouble believing what has been said about Jesus. Not just what has been said this morning, but, but, you know, you've heard lots of things about Jesus, lots of claims about him, right? Go online. You can hear a lot of things about Jesus. Some of them good, some of them um, really not so good, <laughs> right? Some of them true, some of them false. Right? You, you can, you've heard how powerful people, politicians, will invoke Jesus' name for their own means, for their own name. Right? You've heard Jesus spoken of by your neighbors, by your friends, by your co-workers, by your family, and, and it's hard to know what is true and what is not, what is, what is right and what is wrong, what is beautiful and what is ugly. We've heard lots of things about Jesus, and so what I would say to you, If you are having trouble discerning, filtering through what is right about Christ, then I would encourage you, read the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read read one of them. Just start reading them. And, And hear from Jesus what Jesus says about himself. And what you will hear is that the man who was innocent went to his death for his people. That the one who was innocent by his death brings forgiveness of our sins. That the one who was innocent rose to new life so that we would live with him. That is what you will hear. And friends, if you have heard that and you have believed those words and you are trusting in him, then that is what we proclaim. That grace and forgiveness come only through Christ. So what do you see? What do you hear? Friends, don't dismiss Jesus as simply a moral man. And don't listen to his words and set them aside as simply pious advice. Don't look upon him and think he has no value like some nickel. Instead, see him as he is the one of greatest value. Hear his message. Forgiveness of sins comes only through his death and resurrection. Forgiveness of sins comes only through this innocent man. Hear that. Hold to that. Because friends, the tomb is empty. He is risen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that death cannot contain Christ that the tomb could not hold him, but that he is risen and that he lives so that we can live with him. And so we pray that as those who trust in Christ, that you would help us to proclaim that resurrection, that we would proclaim the forgiveness of sins through Christ, that you would help us to believe and to cling to Jesus, looking to him, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who brings forgiveness and grace, mercy and salvation. Father, turn our eyes towards him. Let us hear his voice and let us proclaim. He is risen. Hallelujah. Amen.